Yeah. And I mean, the sheep also, I mean, they're poop, you know, mm. they have really great manures from what I'm told. And this oh, yeah. probably know better. But for what I'm told, sheep manure is extremely good for gardens. So, mm. you know, it we'd get some wool. Um, maybe we'd get some milk if we want to try that, you know, and definitely get some manure. So, I mean, we're trying to really do as much um, uh, regenerative farming and just trying to keep the biodiversity in the, in the soil and um, rotate, you know, we're going to rotate the crops. Like we're, we're really looking into all of these facets to mm -hmm. make this as functional for our area because we live up north in Canada. So we do have very long winters, you know, we have to take all this in consideration. Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and in today's episode, we're talking about a hobby farm, actually. So here to join me for this episode, I've got Rosie here. I'm going to allow her to give her own introduction, so uh, go, go ahead, Rosie. Well, as I've said in the pre-conversation, I have many facets, I guess. <laughs> the one pertinent to this one would be I have a history podcast called History A. Um, I'm also sort of a history buff and linguist buff. Um, I have an undergrad in linguistics and history. I have a master's in Viking studies and I'm currently doing my PhD in what's called human studies and interdisciplinarity, but basically I'm combining history and linguistics yet again for Viking yet again. Awesome. <laughs> so that's the basic one that most people know me from. Um, on this type of podcast, I guess it would be good to say that uh, we do have a hobby farm and we started it during the pandemic. My husband's a senior software engineer and obviously I'm a student now, so that's been my job for a while. We have seven kids, but they're teenagers and adults, and some of them have moved out and, you know, have partners. And we're recently grandparents, so that's an exciting thing. <laughs> and our hobby farm consists essentially of chickens right now, so it's a very small hobby farm. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear. I mean, you definitely sound like you're a, a jack of all trades. You know, you have a have a variety of of experiences, which is always nice to have in in a conversation. It brings a lot to the table. So, I, I will say, kind of a tangent before we get into the ag talk, the fact that you're studying Viking culture is just amazing. <laughs> like that's something that I, because I, I, you know, growing up, I've always liked to study different cultures, especially like you know, uh, like medieval Europe type cultures and that sort of thing. And Vikings are kind of a more recent thing that I've I've come across in the past couple of years, and it's just awesome. So I, when you, when you said Vikings, I was like, ooh, that's cool. But, yeah, my undergrad was combining the Gales and the Vikings, the mm. culture contact period. But nice. that's not what my doctorate is. So it's a whole new topic, <laughs> but with Vikings. Nice. That's awesome. Awesome. So just hopping straight into it. Uh, so you reached out to me on Facebook and mentioned that you run this hobby farm, which you just described, and you said it mostly consists of chickens. So would you mind kind of explaining, uh, for one, kind of what the thought process was into starting the hobby farm, and for two, kind of what, what it's looking like right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was kind of the whole, what they call chicken math in the crazy chicken circles, we call it chicken math. So a friend of ours was moving. They had to get rid of their hens essentially. And they said, we have six hens. You have lots of property. You have a building that you don't use in the back. You know, it's super easy to take care of hens and you get free eggs. We're like, okay, six hens, you know, we'll get maybe four or five eggs a day. That's fine. 
So we started with six hens and then it went to, I think we were up to around 20. I'm probably getting the numbers wrong. It's somewhere around 20, um, about like a month later. And then we got a rooster and uh, now we have an incubator. So we're trying that for the first time. We are now moving our hens into a slightly bigger area. Um, and we will, we are picking up the new hens to add to the old hens. They're not really old. They're like two years old. Um, we are picking them up this week and we are, will have, I believe 56 hens. Now, is that 56 new hens or 56 total? I can't quite remember. My husband did all the ordering cause he was very excited about ordering them <laughs> and I don't really care. I just like cuddling chickens. So it's fine. <laughs> and, awesome. um, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. And we also, uh, another friend of ours said, well, you could do meat chickens, you know, and we said, yeah, we do have, you know, an, out an outbuilding to do that too. So we did, I think it was 60 the first year, the first mm -hmm. summer, and then we did 75 or close to a hundred. Now we're doing 120 this year. Wow. So three guys taking care of it all, you know, and then they're plucking them themselves and everything. <laughs> so it's quite exciting. That's yeah. awesome. So would you guys say that you're more of a, cause I mean, I'm not quite sure you're, you're, uh, you know, selling on the commercial market. I, are you more of a kind of like a farm gate operation? Is that, is that more accurate? Yeah. So we have a uh, heavily treed 20 mm. acres, very heavily treed. So we live in a city that had a massive re-greening program about 40 years ago. Okay. And we ended up buying my parents' property that my parents planted all these trees 40 years ago. So we have these fairly mature, you know, really, really good pine trees and hmm. um, just a, a variety of different things. So my husband has cleared, well, the plan is to clear about three acres. But I mean, so far he's cleared about an acre and then maybe two quarter acres hmm. because we got distracted with trying to um, mill the wood. So because gotcha. our friend lent us a mill for a specific time. So you had to kind of stop clearing and start milling kind of thing. Um, just to use some of the wood for fencing and fence posts and just random things around the farm that you would mm -hmm. need. And uh, yeah, so we're clearing the land and now with the kids being grown up and we have, you know, our parents are nearby and lots of friends. Um, with COVID, it's a little difficult, but hopefully this will change this summer <laughs> um, with vaccinations rolling out. Mm -hmm. So we're giving them essentially a little plot of land and they can use and use and abuse and just plant what they want, you know, so they can also reap the benefits of this farm. So it's really family. Yes, we're going to have a ton of chickens, but we have a lot of eggs to give away. So, nice. you know, we're like, if you want to donate something to help pay the feed, that's fine, but <laughs> we're happy with giving them away. Nice. That's awesome. So it's a lot more of a community kind of, you know, driven operation more than, than a, like a full-blown business. That's, I mean, I'm sure there's still a business aspect to it, you know, because with anything that, that large, you still need to have some, some kind yeah. of business expense, but yeah, I mean, we had to get a tractor, <laughs> so that was a big expense, but my husband is really enjoying the time outside. Honestly, mm. um, we've also owned a photography company for 15 years. We've been mm. shooting weddings or photographing weddings, uh, for 15 years. And last summer with COVID and everything, it changed a lot of things. And that's when we decided to really start using the land we have and to really think about growing things on our land and sharing with our community and our friends mm -hmm. um, and just being a little bit better about our footprint. That was really a big deal for us last year. So, you know, here we are now. 
<laughs> cool. So I do have a few questions about the operation itself. So you mentioned that it started off as, you know, like, like you said, just six hens and then eventually you got a rooster and it kind of, you know, as most operations do evolve from there. Um, and you run, you know, you run a meat side of things and you run a, an egg produce, producing side of things, but you also incubate some eggs and, and those, you know, go back into your, into your flock. So in terms of the actual operation setup, is it like a, uh, what's what, what's what I'm looking for? Like, do, do you have a, like a separate facility just for the, uh, I don't know if you guys have broilers or if you have, you know, what, what your, what your meat chickens are, or, you know, and you, know, like you have a separate facility for the egg layers and separate facility for the broilers and a facility for like, you know, how, how do you have that all set up? If you wouldn't mind kind of breaking that down. Yeah. So we have, we have some sort of random buildings, you know, that have been around and stuff. So we repurposed one of the buildings into our uh, meat facility because we got the hens at the end of the meat season. So we're able to, you know, kill the chickens and mm -hmm. get the hens in there. Um, so we essentially, sorry, my phone's ringing. You're good. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so um, yeah, so we're able to move out the meat chickens and bring in the hens. And now we're going to repurpose another building. So we're now separating them because the meat chickens are um, sort of aggressive as they mm. get older towards the hens, especially. So we want to make sure our hens are healthy and we have one rooster. We're hoping to maybe get another one. Um, I mean, we're incubating eggs. We'll most likely get some anyway. The mm. eggs were given to us right now. Mm. So they're not the same genetics, which it, you know, would mean a, a rooster would be fine. Right. And uh, I, I mean, I really like the heritage. You know, we have uh, green egg layers, hopefully, that are coming. We have uh, chocolate marans mm. or marans, whatever they're called. <laughs> so the chocolate eggs, um, you know, and we have the, the brown eggs and we have the leghorns. We have the white eggs mm. and the meat chickens tend to be the leghorns. So, nice. yeah, very so, standard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's a, you know, it's a pretty good size operation. And yeah, I don't, you know, you don't really hear a whole lot of, you know, small operations getting that big in, in you know, in, in the area that you're in. <laughs> um, so could you kind of, you know, what was the community response to, to all of this happening, you know, with, with you kind of blowing up your operation and starting to starting to give back to your community and have your family involved in all of that. Like, was there a lot of, you know, people kind of looking at like you're crazy or was it like, you know, everyone was pretty welcoming. What did you, what did you see from all that? Well, people always think you're crazy when you have chickens. I have to say. This is true. <laughs> because the chicken math is a real thing and people don't understand it until they have it. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Um, honestly, we have friends that live fairly close by that are in a farming community. So they've mm -hmm. really, really helped us. The McNaughton's, they've really helped us. And they've been farming forever. They had beef, they've had pretty much everything, but they do have hens for sure. And they've been a great source, you know, just any question we have. Um, so that on that side, we do have really good friends that have that experience, which is fantastic to have. Mm. I am obsessed with sheep. Um, for our 20th wedding anniversary, our first trip really together, because we didn't have a honeymoon, we got married very young. Hmm. Um, so our first trip, we went to Scotland, and oh, I got even more obsessed with sheep. So <laughs> I told my husband, Jamie, I said, Jamie, we absolutely need to get sheep if we have room. So we're really hoping to get sheep. And I would like to learn to shear them and make the wool. And just, again, it's not for sale or commercial purposes. It's really the hobby farm. It's really you know, as I'm getting older, I can kind of do crafty things and fun mm -hmm. things. The kids are moving out so I can start having a different facet to my world, you know? 
Um, so, and then maybe an alpaca to help protect the sheep. And then you can also shear it and make wool too. So that's kind of, or not make wool, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You can spin it. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that'd, that'd be awesome. I mean, I, I can definitely vouch for the, uh, the viability of alpacas and llamas because I did like a ton of research on them when I was younger. Cause I was like dead set on having llamas. They're just awesome animals. Like they're like, their wool is, you know, it's lanolin free. So there's like no allergy issues. They're great guard dogs. They're good therapy animals. They're good packing animals. They're just awesome. Like whenever those, you know, whoever decided that we needed to be using those animals was making the right decision. But no, I think that's really cool. I mean, I think that, you know, sheep herds are, are becoming less and less common outside of the commercial, you know, the commercial side of things. And they have a lot of, a lot more value than people tend to realize. And, you know, obviously it takes some, some property to be able to, to manage them, you know, well, but, you know, you, you see a lot more of the, uh, like when you hear of sheep, you, you automatically think of like, oh yeah, wool and meat, like that's it. Like you don't really think of people having like backyard sheep. You know, that's, that's not really a common, like when you think of backyard livestock, you think of, you know, chickens or you think of uh, turkeys or, or even like, like, uh, you know, pygmy goats or, you know, something small that's easy to manage. You don't really think of sheep and, you know, llamas and alpacas and that kind of stuff. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, the sheep also, I mean, they're poop, you know, mm. they have really great manures from what I'm told and this oh, yeah. probably know better, but for what I'm told, sheep manure is extremely good for gardens. So, mm. you know, it, we get some wool. Um, maybe we get some milk if we want to try that, you know, and definitely get some manure. So, I mean, we're trying to really do as much, um, uh, regenerative farming and just trying to keep the biodiversity in the, in the soil and, um, rotate, you know, we're going to rotate the crops. Like we're, we're really looking into all of these facets to mm -hmm. make this as functional for our area, because we live up North in Canada. So we do have very long winters, you know, we have to take all this in consideration. Yeah, definitely. You know, I was just, I just recorded an episode earlier with another Canadian and I was talking about how funny it is. Like I have the strangest, like abundance of followers from Canada. Like I, I, you know, I was focusing a lot of my content around American agriculture and yet all these Canadians keep coming to me like, Hey, talk about us too. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know you guys were listening, but cool. <laughs> yeah. Our climate is so different and it's really hard to get information unless you start really digging into it, like researching right. as you. But yeah. to actually get into the, you know, it's not, you know, the southern states, right? It's not, mm -hmm. our, our climate is just so different. And things like, um, I think it's called a Wallipini, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Hmm. But it's essentially an under, not a, quite an underground, like an underground greenhouse where you're burying the walls and you have a cold space to have the cold run through. And you can have greens in there all year. And I mean, that's kind of with the tractor, we can dig. So, you know, right. I'm like, maybe we should try this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that there's definitely a lot of potential in, you know, in small scale farming. Um, and, you know, that was something, that's something that I've been talking about recently about, uh, I've been getting questions nonstop about, you know, how do I start a farm? How do I get into agriculture? How do you, you know, how do we get involved in this kind of stuff? And I, I have, you know, constantly have to explain, like, it's not the easiest thing to just jump into, especially because, you know, land is really hard to get a hold of. Um, regulations can be really tough to deal with if you don't quite, you know, have the footing already. Um, you know, the, the fee to entry is much higher than it is for most other industries. It's just not an easy thing to just hop in and do, not to mention you're fighting the environment the whole time, which is going to, you know, either help you or it's going to kill you. It's, you know, you, there's no in between. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, it's a very difficult industry to just hop into. So whenever I hear about people making, you know, hobby farms and, and, you know, smaller like farm gate type operations work, it's always, you know, it's, it's a nice story to be able to hear. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of really want pigs too, because they do eat the land mm. um, really well, <laughs> like yes. tree stumps that my husband doesn't feel like pulling out, you know, that kind of thing. He has pulled out quite a bit. So, I mean, I, you know, not to not give him credit for it. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, the, the pigs will eat a lot of the stuff that other animals might not. And I mean, pigs are really cute. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm vegetarian, so it doesn't really matter if we eat them for meat, <laughs> I wouldn't eat them anyway. So I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I think there's, you know, there's, there's a ton of, you know, there's this, you know, there's, there's been this talk lately about, you know, regenerative agriculture and newer approaches to more sustainable methods of growing food and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, say what you will about the the viability of it, but it seems to have positive results, especially when, you know, when we're having this conversation about can we sustain, you know, long-term production of food with, you know, with the current technology that we have and with the lack of land that we have. And it seems like combining our, our you know, newer technology with, with older traditional methods of agriculture, like regenerative agriculture, seem to be kind of the ticket to doing that. So, you know, like you were saying, having... Uh, sheep manure for for the you know for fertilizer as opposed to you know using chemical fertilizers and having you know pigs to to try to you know eat up some of the land that you might you might not want to uh, have some of your other animals eat or maybe they won't eat or you know having chickens that kind of give back into the community to to help fund some of the other projects you want to do like there's definitely a lot of benefit in that kind of stuff as and long I mean, as it they take sorry. care of pigs and they take right. care of all kinds of pests that are. Mm-hmm. you know, bad, like we have dogs, we don't want them to get ticks and having chickens around is a great solution for that. Right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, as long as you have, a, you know, a firm understanding of the relationship between all of them, then you can, you know, you can get a lot more done than, than people tend to realize. I agree. And I think that, like, though we have, we do have a, a nice, you know, a nice, big, it's not that big, honestly, what I compared to what I would like, it's 20 <laughs> acres, it's not that huge to me. Um, mm-hmm. Once you start, you know, cultivating it and stuff, but once you have even a small plot of land and you're not in a city where the bylaws are restricting you, obviously check mm-hmm. on that, you know, that can be a problem. Yeah. If you have a smaller plot of land, you can definitely do a lot. I mean, we have a neighbor that has three quarters of an acre and she has chickens and she has, uh, I think she has a duck now, you know, mm-hmm. like just lots of really cool little animals that don't take up a lot of real estate essentially, but they still can provide entertainment and she has two young children. So I mean, that's really fun, right? Yeah, no, and that and that's a big thing too. Is you know, kind of like you mentioned, being able to kind of engage younger people in, in this kind of stuff too is a huge deal. I mean, I come from you know a, a farm town, and you know half the kids I went to school with have never even seen a cow before, or they've never worked on a field, or they've never you know gotten their hands dirty. And it's kind of you know it, it's almost embarrassing to a degree. You know, I come from from uh, like the dairy capital of the world, and half the kids there ha- have never actually been on a dairy or have have you know actually engaged with animals and so you know you kind of you miss a lot of that a lot of the work ethic that comes out of that kind of stuff and the responsibility and all that and like the respect for the meat you're growing mm-hmm. you know like i know i mentioned a vegetarian is due to health issues it's not because i don't want to <laughs> so <Right. laughs> i'm a weird vegetarian people are like oh my god one of those it's like no actually <laughs> I, I don't want to be one of these but i have no choice Right. Um, but yeah, my kids eat my, you know, I mean, my one daughter also has a hard time with meat, but the rest of the kids eat meat, my husband eats meat. Um, and I think there's definitely a respect for the food you're growing, including meat, you know, including the plants. And there's so much different technology, like you were talking about using different new technologies and some stuff I've been considering. I mean, in cooking, I love, you know, fresh herbs, but again, we're up north, it's really hard even keeping it in the windowsill, I mean, they mm-hmm. die out. The windows are cold in the winter. You know, there's cold <laughs> drafts and stuff, even with good windows mm-hmm. um, and very, you know, big lack of sunlight. So I was considering something like 
the water, um, like water with herbs, you know, like a wall yeah. of water. I, I forget what the English name is for it. I'm sorry. Uh, well, we, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you're referring to hydroponics necessarily. Yeah, okay. I, I was going to say, cause like, I know there's a few different like vertical farming and hydroponics kind of have similar, you know, attributes to that, but I wasn't sure if that's what you're going for. Yes. Okay. That's the one hydroponics. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I lost the word. Um, <laughs> so yeah, having that, even like a small section of your house, you know, and you can mm -hmm. have fresh herbs year round and super easy to take care of from what I've read. And, you know, obviously there's always challenges, but it's, it's the cost or, you know, there's some DIY stuff you can do. Yeah. Um, I, I always encourage people, even though I'm not in agriculture per se, I do encourage people, look at what you can do, you know, plants in your house, aloe vera. Yeah. Uses. I mean, it can be very small things or a small plot of land. You can have a chicken or two, have a chicken or two, you know, they're not that hard to take care of. Right. They help with ticks. They give you eggs. I mean, they're fantastic, you know? <laughs> yeah. And they no. love petals. <laughs> right. No. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned a lot, a lot of things that I think are really important to, you know, to kind of excuse me, take away from this. And, you know, that's, that's a big part of what, you know, the purpose of this podcast is, is that, you know, agriculture is a lot more than just producing food and making money. You know, there, there's a, there's a, a respect for the land, for the animals, for nature, for the plants, you know, having that, that relationship is a big part of being a successful agriculturalist. And, you know, you may not think that you're in agriculture because you're not on the commercial market, but agriculture is, you know, is a relationship between civilization and, and, and nature. So I think that, you know, by that regard, you're still practicing agricultural methods. And so, you know, that, that's a big thing that I try to really emphasize to people is that, hey, you don't have to be a farmer, but having some kind of experience with agriculture, going on a farm, working with animals, working with crops, whatever it is, it helps you appreciate that food a bit more and it helps you appreciate the work that gets put into it the by both the you know the farmer and the animals and the land um you know it helps you appreciate the you know how hard some people are working to try to make sure that food gets grown and it's healthy and safe for us to eat you know uh that you know all of the technology all of the you know the practices and everything that's going into it there's a reason that we're doing it and that, you know it's constantly being refined and constantly worked on and it's just you know it's, it's a lot more complicated than just you know some guy in overalls you know walking <laughs> around with with a with a milk pail in his cornfield you know it's it, that's not agriculture quite you know anymore it's, it's it's evolved a lot more yeah and even the you know sort of mid-range small to mid-range farms like our friends who have farms um around here there they still have they have a lot of work, but there's still a process to it. And they've, they've kind of refined, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the really fun part is the more, like we've worked with chickens now for almost two years. And I feel like we've refined like the nesting boxes, you know, we rebuilt the nesting boxes. What do we want? Okay, we want a roll away tray. You know, we want the eggs to roll down and go get tucked in a corner. So not that the hens were eating it or anything, it was just much easier to harvest the eggs from the nesting boxes. Mm -hmm. Because some hens, they go broody, right? They want to sit on the eggs. And then if you touch a hen that's broody, she complains. And then the rooster's <laughs> like, what are you doing to my girl? Right. And, you know, you, you don't want an aggressive rooster. So mm -hmm. just sort of finding solutions. And I think it, it kind of ties into what you're saying, where we're using prior knowledge, but mm -hmm. we're using today's technology to kind of figure out what's the best thing for me and my farm and my agriculture, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that, you know, you, you made a solid point in saying that, you know, the utilization of that technology is not for the sake of, you know, let's, let's mechanize our food production. It's, it's to make the lives easier on the farmer and the animal. And that's that, I think that's a big reason why, you know, some people do kind of follow that, that path of, you know, vegetarianism or, or, you know, veganism or kind of more environmentalist kind of mentality. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but they seem to have kind of a, 
uh, like a misled view of what's actually happening. You know, everything we're doing is for the benefit of the animals. It's, it's not because we want to steal the eggs away from this chicken that's going to complain. It's because we're trying to make it easier. So that way the chicken and the, and the rooster aren't getting upset with us and that they're not complaining and getting more stressed out than they need to. You know, it's all about having a healthy relationship with whatever it is you're taking care of. And that's a big part of anything in life. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, if, if you are very conscious of it, then that's when you hit up the farmer's markets and you get to meet the people in your areas and you really see where the stuff is growing, you know, and I'm not, I mean, we do go to Costco for some stuff. I mean, for frozen stuff, like, of course we do. We're not complete, you know, living off the grid. And I mean, in a way that'd be great, but in another way with a big family like ours, we can't provide that way. Um, you know, I, I do, I'm, I'm French Canadian. So I do come from a family where, you know, my grandmother had like 14 kids. Oh yeah. They essentially had their own farm, but not for anybody else, just for them They had a thousand chickens or hens, I should say. They had meat chickens. They had uh, a garden that was just for them. And then they would can and pickle everything. You know, that was like mm. the traditional thing to do where you're up north and, you know, you need to have vegetables year round right. and they would make, you know, um, apple compote and like all of these things. Right. So I would love that, but that's so much work. That's an incredible amount of work. And I just feel like it's not the work for me right now. You know, mm. maybe if I'm retired and <laughs> I can really play with all of these cons conservation methods and, you know, give out some stuff, which I, we love to give out stuff. So, you know, give out little jars of things. And yeah, I love that idea. I just feel like right now we're not quite there yet. So um, in, in that sense, I prefer you know, going to farmer's markets and trying to support people who are making these jams and jellies and, right. you know, getting those fresh herbs from them since I'm not growing them myself. <laughs> so, so that actually brought up a question that I had as well. Um, when it comes to the products that you guys produce, do you guys go to farm market, uh, farmer's markets and, and sell your product? Or do you have some kind of outlet that you, that you send it to, or kind of what's, what's your process as soon as the product is done? Well, for now, we're just eating our own eggs because okay. that's all we have now. Um, as I said, it was a heavily treed uh, lot, right? Mm. So my parents did have a garden when I was growing up here. So there was a garden, but the year we moved in, I got really sick and it, we just weren't able to garden. And it's kind of went like on the crazy side now because it's mm. been a few years. <laughs> so we kind of gave up with that area and we're just letting it, you know, go back to nature and it's, it's nice, you know, it's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad also had a greenhouse on the property and he loved tomatoes and uh, cucumbers. He used to start his tomatoes in February in the house and his cucumbers. And he had so many tomatoes, he never knew what to do with them. <laughs> so that was one of the problems. Um, so we had a lot of tomatoes because of my dad. But it's just the amount of work again, like it, it was just we're not there yet, mm -hmm. unfortunately. You know, um, I was still doing a lot of classes this winter. So even the thought of sitting down for an hour trying to prepare anything was just insane. I had to fit everything in the schedule. I mean, everybody's busy, so it's not a complaint. Um, it, it's just, it wasn't feasible this year. I'm hoping we can start seedlings for next year. Plus our field wasn't quite ready for the planting season, um, which would be, I think it's around like next week. It's the first full moon of June usually hmm. around this um, this area. That's what they, they say. Or you have to cover your stuff because there is frost until then. Um, so yeah, it, it's like, we're learning all of this this year so that by next year, we're like, okay, we have sheep, we have the manure, we have pigs probably, you know, um, we, we have everything in place so that when we plant or when we start our seedlings, we'll have areas in the house that we can, you know, right now my incubator is like in my, in my living room <laughs> on a table, you know, it's like not very official or anything. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think 
when you're first starting anything, whether it's a business or hobby farm or anything, you're always sort of like figuring it out as you go and how, what's the best way to implement this. Right. And we're really right. still at that phase. So I wish I had a better answer, but that's my answer. <laughs> no, that that's great. I think that you kind of highlighted a, a solid point, especially for anyone who wants to get involved in agriculture and eventually want to start their own farms. You know, a lot of it is kind of figuring it out when you start. And then once you kind of have an idea of what, of what you want, then it's all planning ahead and trying to get all of it set up. That way, whenever you get there, you're ready to, to handle all of it. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, agriculture is one of the few industries that you're constantly trying to work with the environment as well as it's constantly changing. And so it's difficult to, you can plan out your entire year and, or five years ahead of time. And as you work towards it, you know, one storm can come in and ruin all of it. You know, so it's really hard to, to, to constantly be able to be ready for anything. You have to constantly adapt and, and find new ways to make sure that what you're trying to do is going to work effectively for you. Or like your flock could get sick, or you could, you know, like you can have, uh, you know, dogs break in and, and attack, you know, something or like, you know, there's, there's so many things that could go wrong. It's like, you know, you can never be 100% ready all the time. Something's always got to be, you know, accounted for. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and we do have an outside run for the chickens and we did end up, are the hens, I keep saying chickens, but they're hens. <laughs> Um, but we did cover it all the way because there are coyotes here. There's a lynx running around. Sometimes we have, you know, beavers and uh, porcupines, and like we're very, <laughs> we're very much in nature. We have moose and deer, and you know, mm. so we do have to keep our run closed. I know some of the neighbors do free range uh, differently. They they don't even have like the chicken tractor, which is that little structure you put your chickens in and you kind of move it every day. Mm -hmm. um, down the street, somebody had one and coyotes broke in and ate all the chickens. Oof. Well, actually, they, they slaughtered them. They didn't actually eat them. They just kind of killed them all because um, coyotes can be mean that way. Yep. But our other neighbor has, <clears throat> has a dog and chickens. And so far, she hasn't lost too many. But my friend told me that uh, unfortunately, in this area, they tend to get attacked a lot. So mm -hmm. it's better to have them you know, we do have a, like a, I don't even know how big it is, at least 20 feet um, mm. for our 16 hens. <laughs> and the, new, the new enclosure is going to be somewhere around 40, 50 feet long. Mm. So it, it, they'll have lots and lots and lots of room to run around, but they are enclosed mm. um, just to protect them because we do have a lot of predators in this area, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's an important thing to keep in mind. You know, you hear a lot of people saying that you know, free range is best and that chickens need to be able to run out and play and do all this kind of stuff. And while that's true, you have to remember that they are animals at the end of the day. There's always something hunting them. You know, you gotta, yeah. gotta watch out for them too. Right. <laughs> so. And then you can run into problems. Like our friends were saying that they had their birds running around um, in a different area, but they were running around and it was great. But one time um, a bird flew up on the tallest branch of a tree and wouldn't come down, was scared to come down. And they had to get a ladder. It was like the cat and the fireman getting oh, the cat out of the tree. Like they had to get a ladder and it was just a big complicated process. The poor chicken was terrified, <laughs> almost died of a heart attack, you know. And oh, then no. at the end of the summer, the other thing she, she was thinking, wow, they're not producing a lot of eggs this, this year. Like, I don't know what's going on. At the end of the summer, she was pulling up her plants in her garden and under her spinach, like the sort of the, the leftover of the spinach, the bottom part of the spinach, she found like 50 eggs they're all rotting obviously and she's like oh my gosh so they were hiding the eggs there you know she's like what a waste she's like i'm done with this they're gonna stay in the coop and they're gonna stay in an enclosed or you know fenced in area because it was just so much trouble that year and mm. her silkies ended up getting eaten quite a bit and yeah she's just i'm done you know um so we listened to all these stories and then we make our decisions and we decided we weren't going to put a roof on the run initially the new run like the, the newer area we're mm. building or that we're we're fixing up 
but um, there are hawks and we have heard of, you know, like um, birds hawk. of prey. Um, yeah, and um, the marmot, I don't know, like little, like brown hawks maybe it's called. I don't Oh, like prairie dogs? Maybe, yeah, I don't really know what they're called in English, <laughs> sorry. But they do climb over and they oh. will uh, steal the eggs and kill the chicks. And it's <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Okay, so no, no, we're, we will, you know, put it the top part of the enclosure um, there for sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's, and like I said, you know, you always have to think forward in case of, you know, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? You know, you always have to be able to adapt to, you know, to new things and constantly be able to make sure that everything is, is protected and yeah, no, that, that's crazy. But you did bring up another point that I thought was kind of interesting was that, you know, you're able to learn from people who have, who have gone through this before, which is always a nice thing. You know, if you're trying to build a farm up from scratch with nobody else around you, you're going to run into a lot more issues. It's, you know, it's, it's very helpful to have, you know, a, a supportive community that can all kind of work together and say, Hey, you know, this happened to us five years ago, make sure you do this. That way it doesn't happen to you too, kind of thing. Oh, and, yeah. You know. <laughs> That's why I love Facebook for that, for the groups you can join, you know, the crazy chicken groups. And mm. I'm part of so many farm animal groups like goats. And I, I don't even think we'll ever have goats, but if we do, <laughs> I'll be informed, you know? There you go. <laughs> and um, a lot of people have suggested the best series of books is the stories, the S-T-O-R-E-Y. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody tells us those are the best guides. Like they kind of cover everything at a, at a very detailed yet basic level. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of go into more detail with other research. Um, so if anybody's starting out, I would definitely recommend that series. I've bought a few of them and they're really, really wonderful. Yes, no, I, I could definitely back that. I've read a few of the story books, stories books myself. I actually have the stories guide to beef cattle underneath my bed right now. I read through it frequently. Um, but yeah, no, they're, they're very, very well, you know, well, well worded, you know, in, in a way that they're understandable for somebody who's not actively involved in, in agriculture, but somebody mm -hmm. who, you know, it's detailed enough that you're kind of you know ready to go into it with, with at least some kind of understanding of what you're going to be doing. So. Absolutely. And I did have some questions for you since okay. I know that I'm allowed to ask questions. Yes, you are. <laughs> so I'm always wondering about soil quality, right? So we're in a marshy area with a lot of pine, as I said. So our soil is a dark earth, but we do have sand and then clay. What would be our best bet? Like we're going to add manure and everything. We're going to see how it goes and we're going to see the quality with, you know, the worms and all of that. Mm -hmm. But what, what suggestions do you have on how to kind of make sure that that soil will be nice for growing? So it's, it, it's really hard to, to provide a one size fits all solution just because soil can vary a lot depending on your area and your climate and it depends on what you're trying to grow. You know, if you're trying to grow uh, Bermuda grass versus orchard grass versus, you know, uh, alfalfa, you know, there, there's going to be different soil requirements. Uh, typically, you want to make sure that your soil has a, a proper nitrogen, uh, what is it, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium content. And so that's, you know, your NPK, that's what most like fertilizers are going to contain. Um, so you can do soil tests to see if they, if they have all those things, that's going to be kind of your first step. It, you said, you said it's a darker soil. Yeah, we do because it's sort of a swampy area. So we okay. have a lot of that sort of rotting you know, rotting matter at the, at the top, which I mm -hmm. think is a really healthy soil from what yes. I Yes. So yeah, darker soil tends to be higher in organic matter and organic soil tends to be very uh, beneficial for, for growing just because, you know, as organic matter decays, a lot of the nutrients that were contained in it get released into the soil, which can be used as nutrients for the plant material. So yeah, you definitely want a lot of organic material in your soil, not to mention it creates um, a lot of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? it kind of aerates the soil. So that, that way there's more room for oxygen to flow in, in between them and there's more, um, 
there's more drainage for the water to kind of be able to flow naturally through it especially if you have kind of a decent so, um, uh, sand to, to clay ratio that kind of helps you know with that with that drainage as well um, mm -hmm. like I said it's really hard to just like you know to, to diagnose like this is exactly what you need to, to do to fix your soil but I would say it's best I don't know if you've done any soil tests yet to not yet not okay. yet because he was still clearing the fields and we just haven't had a chance now since we're okay. getting ready for the hens <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would say the first step would be do your soil test kind of get a you know a, a clear understanding of what exactly your soil content looks like see what the microbiomes are, are kind of doing when you know uh, how they're behaving with the with the soil and, and with the plant material that, that's there if there is any and kind of from there you can start to to apply things that might benefit it um like you mentioned with, you know, before the, the chicken manure and, and, and sheep manure can be beneficial in, in certain areas, but it kind of, it, it all depends on what you're, what you're working with. So, you know, you might have soil that's already to a point where it's going to be exactly what you need to grow. And if you add anything else, it might upset the balance or you have soil that's like deficient in this one thing, but if you add too much of, of something else, then it can kind of cause some, some complications. So it's, like I said, it's really hard to, to know for sure, but that's kind of your first step is check it, check the NPK levels, kind of check the, the micro, uh, microbiome uh, activity and kind of see from, from there. And then you can start to do some research on, okay, well, I know that I'm deficient in nitrogen. What should I add to help with that? And kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we want to try to use plants and something fairly local, you know, mm -hmm. in order to enrich our soil rather mm -hmm. than bring in too many um, fertilizers and Right. And, and there are organic fertilizers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's not, I'm not against fertilizers at all, but just for our own purposes, we're like really trying to make it so it's regenerative and it just kind of right. works on its own. It's its own little ecosystem. And the three fields are in very different locations on the land. And so they have different drainage, different soil, different shade. One is um, east-west, one is south-north, you know, mm -hmm. so we're really trying out different field structures and different soils mm -hmm. to see what's going to grow and how. And we do want to do a rotation, obviously, and have clover in, you know, in a field every year, um, yeah. in different fields, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's like our plan. So okay. <laughs> that's what we're uh, going I, right now. I'm sure you've also done some research on, on permaculture, but I would recommend kind of looking into uh, what some of the more permaculture style methods are of, of soil maintenance, just because if you're going for that kind of like self-sustaining ecosystem field, then permaculture might be a, a better, you know, route to look into that, which re okay. you know, re regenerative methods definitely have some, you know, some benefits in and of themselves, but a lot of them are going to be based off of combining, you know, either external fertilizers with, with what you have there already, or it's going to be, uh, you know, based off of, like I said, kind of based off of, um, manipulating what what's already there you know like i mean that's kind of the that's the goal at the end of the day anyways to manipulate what you have but you know there's there's definitely a way to do it with your you know with your chickens or with your sheep or whatever you have there versus bringing in external you know mm -hmm. materials so and it we kind do of, have local farms with different animals like we can get right. horse manure we can get cow manure like we do have you know connections around the area so depending on me i guess what we need yeah <laughs> So, and also, um, we're not, we don't have any power in that part of the land. So for watering, um, I, I've seen sort of, you know, these big jugs that are on sort of a tower and it's like a water, like a water, uh, tower, I mm -hmm. guess, um, <laughs> such as the, the big water towers back in the day in cities. Right. And I was wondering, is there some DIY stuff you can do? You know, can you kind of make it so that it, it waters if the soil needs it, what, rather than, you know, you turning on a tap? Mm -hmm. or something you know i think that there are some ways you can 
you can do something with that. Um, I remember I actually have a, I have a book that's, that's called backyard farming and it, it like breaks down all kinds of like DIY, um, you know, farming adaptations you can do. And I vaguely remember seeing something about it, like a DIY irrigation system in there that was kind of using that same idea, you know, cause the, the whole purpose behind water towers, obviously gravity is what does the irrigation, not any kind of, you know, electrical, uh, you know, energy, but I would say that that's probably, it's hard to say. Like, I, I would say that, you know, your, your best bet's probably going to be, yeah, some kind of DIY water tower that's, that's, you know, focused more on just kind of having your, you know, gravity push all the water through than if you can't get any lines out there. Um, or, you know, if you don't want to do like the tap thing. Um, but I really, I, I don't, I don't have a ton of information on, on that right now. That'd be something I have to do some more research on. I'm not the most uh, educated in terms of, you know, DIY irrigation systems, but um, well, it, it'd be an interesting concept and we've considered it since um, for now we would have to essentially put water in the tractor and lug it out there, you know, gotcha. like it's really far. Um, there is a creek, but it's very, it's maybe, you know, 12 inches deep. It's not very deep and it does go to a lake uh, down the road, which we don't want to start moving the whole water table for that either. So. Yeah. try to use what's around instead <laughs> yeah and that's a big thing too is you know you don't want to tap into any local wells or or you know you don't you don't want to touch a water table if you don't have to or you know any everybody's on wells here so yeah right. you definitely want to do that <laughs> right yeah no as, as much as you can survive with surface water you're going to want to try to try to utilize that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well if ever you find information definitely share it because yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm interested in that kind of thing too yeah i'm always doing research so if i find something i'll be sure to send it your way well, I'm also, I am also, I think I have my husband convinced of maybe getting a cow, a, a smaller cow, but a female cow, not for meat though, because I, I know I will fall in love with it <laughs> um, because they're just darn cute. And mm. it's the Highland cow, obviously, because I'm obsessed with Scotland. Oh yeah. Scottish <laughs> so Highlanders cow, are the best. <laughs> yeah. They're just, the Highland cows are just adorable. And I would love to have one for milk and I have no clue how that works. So that's a whole other <laughs> process to learn, you know, um, so I don't know if you have advice on that. Is it even worth having a cow for milk, you know, for well, too much work for one cow? I know? mean, it, it will, it will require a lot of new infrastructure in your operation, you know, cause that's like, like you mentioned, it's a whole new commodity you're trying to, you're trying to get there. Um, I mean, you can, let's just say you do have just the one cow, you can just hand milk her. Um, but that's going to require a lot of, uh, a lot of breaking in. She's going to have to be used to, you know, to put personal handling, which isn't usually an issue for Scottish Highlanders. They're very tame, uh, mm -hmm. but you will have to breed her because, you know, that she won't produce milk without being bred, obviously. And so that, that just kind of, you know, begs the question of, are you going to do artificial insemination? Are you going to have a bull of what are you going to do with the calf when the calf is born? Are you going to just expand the herd? So it's kind of like a, you know, once you kind of figure that stuff out, then you can kind of go from there, but I'm not sure what the what the regulations, what the regulations look like in your area of Canada. But I know that at least in the United States, we have a, like a, a specific regulation on how many acres per head of, of cattle you're allowed to have. So like, let's just say you have an acre, then you can only have like a cow calf pair on that acre. Um, mm -hmm. So if, if you're trying to share the land with your chickens and your sheep and anything else in the area that might, you might need to look into kind of what your, what your restrictions are with that because they're also going to be competing for water and 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 you know the the pasture land presumably so not saying that's going to cause any issues but that's just something you know something else to take into consideration um i do know that scottish and cow go well together from what i can tell they oh yeah along very well they're yeah no both of them and fairly approachable and 
yeah right yeah no they definitely have have you know compatible temperaments they should they shouldn't have any issues with fighting or anything you should you know it, it just kind of ask another question of you know how, what what's the water requirement going to be like what's the pasture requirement going to be like is that going to be enough for the amount of animals i want to have do i need to do some kind of pasture rotation system do i need to have you know like that's just you know there's just always more questions to to ask <laughs> with it um i will say that i don't know what the milking quality of scottish highlanders is just because they are beef uh, breeds and so mm -hmm. they can be milked obviously there are there are actually some beef breeds that are uh, they double as milking breeds. So like uh, milking shorthorn, Charlet, uh, there are, there are a couple of beef breeds that, that can be used for the milk quality, but typically, you know, a milk cow is like, you know, Holsteins and Jerseys and Ayrshires and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I obviously you can milk a Scottish Highlander. I just don't know. You'd have to make sure that they're producing enough milk for the calf and for you kind of thing. That, that just be something you have to kind of look into and see what their milk production looks like. Cause I know they do tend to be more decorational animals. They kind of just like to, you know, hang out in the pasture, which is, you know, if that's what you're going for, that's great. <laughs> just, you know, don't, don't be surprised if they're not producing as no, as much milk as one of the cows on the dairy next door. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, at that point, then we have her to breed her to then mm -hmm. sell for meat. The babies can leave and then they can. <laughs> want there you go <laughs> I, guess. I mean I don't know I don't know I just I would love to have a Highland cow I mm -hmm. I found them really lovely when we we're in Scotland they they were very very sweet animals they were like big dogs essentially yeah. they weren't, they're not aggressive they're very friendly you know and I I don't know I feel like the sheep would go well with them they just mm -hmm. seem to run well together but yeah See, and cattle is kind of my specialization. So beef and dairy cattle, those are kind of my bread and butter. I know, you know, th mm. those are things I can speak on pretty well. So I can tell you exactly like what the temperaments are of each breed, what, you know, what they're compatible with, what they aren't, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, Scottish Highlanders are like, I've, I've only met one or two, but they were very, very, you know, docile animals to be around. And they're, you know, very easy going. They're good decoration animals. You know, they're very good just to kind of have around as a pet. They will, they'll get along great with any other livestock you have. I just don't know what the production level of, of them is, you know, like, I don't, I don't think mm -hmm. that their, their meat quite competes with an Angus and I don't think their milk quite competes with a Holstein kind of situation. But, you know, I mean, like you said, you're not trying to mass produce their, their milk or meat. It's just, you know, it kind of just like a backyard pet and that's that I think it'd be fine for that. Yeah. It would just be to kind of round out what we're trying to do, I guess, which is, yeah. you know, um, have some milk from a cow <laughs> at that point it's not for everybody or to sell no it would just be for us or maybe the kids or something yeah, yeah I would think that'd be that'd be perfectly fine yeah so maybe eventually in a few years when you talk to me be like hey you did get your Scottish <laughs> Island cow <laughs> yeah no for sure I mean I always like to check back in on my on my fans so or on my guests I mean so whenever they <laughs> whenever they uh text me about like hey I, I went and bought this thing I'm like oh it's awesome man or I, I see an article that reminds me of him I send it to him so yeah if you if you get a Scottish Highlander then then I'm going to be expecting some some texts or pictures or something there's but, uh, people can't wait for COVID to be over there's so many people that want to come and see the chickens oh yeah and I bet mine is obsessed with baby pigs he is mm. absolutely he said you told me you're getting pigs and I'm almost crying now. Like I, I'm so excited to see them. So I'm just very sad that it's COVID because by the time we get some of these baby animals, you know, hopefully it, you know, the restrictions are lifted a little bit. So friends can come over and handle them a little bit and stuff. Right. Yeah. I will say, uh, cause when you said baby pigs, this reminded me, if you were to, if you wanted to keep the calf for a little while, or if, or if you didn't want to uh, interrupt the, you know, the cow's milking ability, you can feed the calf formula 
and then you can just harvest all the milk from the cow and, and call it good because the calf will still get the nutrient supplement that it needs and the cow will still get milked and she'll be, and she'll feel better. And that way you're not missing out on any milk that the calf might be consuming. Because when you said that, because one of the farms I used to work on, we used to give the pigs formula. And, you know, we gave, like, when I started working on one of the beef operations around here, we used to give the, the calves formula too. And that way you can, you can hold on to the, any milk you can get from the cow without having to worry about the calf, you know, missing out on anything. Yeah, so that, that is efficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's and sometimes, idea. sometimes that's even better because if the cow hasn't, let's just say the cow hasn't been eating properly for some reason, her milk mm-hmm. might not be exactly what the calf needs. Whereas that formula is exactly, you know, it's a perfectly balanced diet for that calf. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do know that in a lot of the sheep groups, because I do follow a lot of the sheep groups right now, um, often the the lambs will need to be bottle fed just yes. because the mom will reject or there's just random mm-hmm. things that happen. So it's always good to have that on hand, you know, so having like the colostrum for the sheep or I guess mm-hmm. the colostrum for the calf. Yeah, no, exactly. So yeah, then I think that will get a bigger freezer. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, exactly. But... Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think, I, I mean, hope... I think that's it for my questions, but I'm All sure right. I'll have more and I can always message you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And like I said, you know, I mean, I'm always more than happy to keep up with anybody that I talk to about this kind of stuff. It's always a lot of fun for me. So yeah, you're more than welcome to reach out or if you have any new updates or any questions that you want to come back on for, I'd be ha- happy to come back, you know, bring you back on for another episode or something. But um, yeah, I hope I was able to answer all your questions to your satisfaction. (laughs) I think so. It was great. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, Before we close out, I'd like to give you the chance to re-plug everything, kind of let everyone know where they could find you if if you're willing to. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the easiest way to find me probably is through the podcast history, eh? Um, And I'm on Twitter and there's emails and a website and all that fun stuff. So you can always find me there. Awesome. Well, I'll be sharing all that kind of stuff down in the description and on the social medias and everything so that people can find you and, you know, maybe they'll, they'll want to follow all of your farm shenanigans and, and uh, head out to Canada and visit your chickens or something. <laughs> yeah, actually, I should mention, sorry, I completely did not mention. So my husband did start a YouTube channel also oh. <laughs> called Farming A. So, you know, if you, if you want the farming aspect, you should go check out his stuff. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible way. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'll be, I'll be linking that as well. That way people can, can keep up with the ag side of things as well as the, you know, the history and, and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of wraps up everything we have here. So thanks again, Rosie, so much for joining me. This has been a sure pleasure and it's been a lot of fun. And uh, thanks to all the loyal listeners and, you know, for, for supporting and tuning in and checking everything out. Hope to catch all you guys next week. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer. Mm-hmm.